0: Ecclesiastes chapter 6. I'll read. There is an evil that I've seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God, sorry, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he for it comes in vanity and goes in darkness and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. All the toil of man is for his mouth yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named. And it is known what man is. And that he is not able to dispute with the one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives in the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Let us ask the Lord for help. Father, we come this afternoon seeking your help to understand your word. Indeed, we are men who are blind of eye and dull of ear, and we need the illumining work of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts and minds to receive your word. And Lord, we pray that we may be faithful to hear and to do it. Help me, Lord, to be a faithful servant for your people. Pray that you may help that, that I'll be faithful to what your word says. And help my hearers too, that they will be attentive to hear the word of Christ. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We come to chapter six of this wonderful book, <clears throat> and the writer, who is Solomon, continues with it with this theme of material possession. Last, at uh, the last time we we considered chapter five, verse eight to twenty, we considered the vanity of material riches, and we saw that material riches do not bring lasting satisfaction; that material riches make cause you to lose your sleep we consider that richness, uh, material richness are uncertain because you cannot keep it that you can easily lose them that you cannot take it with you and it is only God who can give the enjoyment of gifts, this afternoon we continue with chapter 6 and it continues with the same theme and I've titled this sermon the vanity of prosperity. The vanity of prosperity. Verses 1 and and 2, we shall see that others can enjoy one's prosperity. Others can enjoy one's prosperity. That is verses 1 and 2. And then verses 3 to 6, we see that prosperity does not go beyond death. Prosperity does not go beyond death and then thirdly verse 7 to 9 we see that prosperity does not satisfy prosperity does not satisfy and then fourthly and lastly from verse 10 to 12 God is sovereign God is sovereign this is the halfway point of this book numerically chapter 6 and his next observation is on the vanity of prosperity. Keep in mind here that the preacher is making a critical observation and drawing conclusions and principles based on his observations on vanity. And when he does this, he does not abandon the fear of the Lord. He's not abandoning the fact that life is a gift from God. He is rattling our minds to think more deeply about the things that really matter he's going against the assumption that the prosperous man is the man that is right with God and so we come to verse 1 and 2 others can enjoy one's prosperity verse 1 there is an evil that I've seen under the sun and it lies heavy on mankind his first observation is there's an evil under the sun this is not because the vanity is morally wicked but it is his way of expressing his frustration for the preacher that which appears unfair is evil the NIV will render it it is prevalent that it weighs heavily on mankind. The KJV will put it, there's an evil which I have seen under the sun and it is common among men. The New American Standard Standard Bible says, there's an evil which I have seen under the sun and it is widespread among mankind. So this evil is grave. It is a burden among men. So you wonder, what is this vanity? Look at verse 2. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. Stop there. Here is a person whom God has blessed with everything that he wants, the riches, the wealth, and the honor. But verse 2 tells us that this person doesn't enjoy them. God has not empowered him to enjoy them. And this is the perpetual frustration Solomon is saying, that he's seen it over and over again. We realize here that the apparent evil, the frustration here, is nothing more than the sovereignty of God. Here is the vanity that is evil. God gives riches, possessions, and honor God withholds the power to enjoy the gifts that he has given. He is a person who has everything that he wants... ...but enjoys none of them... ...because he does not know the giver of the good gifts. So in the mind of the preacher... ...there is something that seems not right. This is a crooked thing... ...that he cannot wrap his mind around it. A person with lots of wealth... ...but they cannot enjoy it. It must be frustrating... To have everything and not enjoy it why because god has restricted this person from relishing the things that he has notice that it even gets worse in verse 2 when it says but a stranger enjoys them what's even worse is a, a stranger a foreigner and this It doesn't mean a person from a different country. It could be someone who was not him. To make it worse, sometimes someone else enjoys those gifts. A stranger is going to enjoy them. That doesn't make any sense. God is the one who gives power to get wealth. We know that from Deuteronomy 8.18. God is the one who blesses. God is sovereign over who controls the wealth. But the power to enjoy the gifts is sovereignly withheld from the sun. There's nothing wrong with riches. There's nothing wrong with possessions. But there's everything wrong with something that takes the place of God. This is vanity. This is a severe affliction. We may look at people who have everything and not enjoy them, and we wonder, how could this be so unfair? It is a vanity. It is a severe affliction. Take for example, A person who is financially secure He has access to the Best food in the world He can travel all over the world They can buy anything that they want But this person has a condition He has lost his test buds. He cannot taste food How is that? He has access to the Best food in the world But he cannot taste it He can have a good looking plate But that doesn't mean that You will enjoy it. That will be the picture of vanity. That's the picture of the people of this world. This is what Solomon is trying to help us to understand. People have it all, but they cannot enjoy it. Because they do not know the giver of the good gifts. It's a picture of a man who loves wonderful music. They can buy tickets to the best concert in the world, but they cannot hear because they lost their sense of hearing. This is what it means to have everything in this world. But to not know Christ. To not know the giver of the good gifts. And you're told here, what's even worse is the stranger enjoys them. You've seen people rise from the bottom. And build empires. For years, for 20 years, for example. And they can lose it in seconds. Because prosperity is so frail. Because what they have is a house built on sand. When the storm comes, it destroys everything. But when you build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ, even when the storms come, you're firmly rooted. We sing, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. This is a sad dilemma. Whenever you have blessings from the Lord, and you do not use it for the glory of god what can god do he can allow someone else to eat it and it will be sad looking at that person you should ask yourself whether what you have is used for the glory of god and if it is not used for the glory of god you could lose it you could lose it to a stranger So there can be no enjoyment of gift without God who gives the gifts. So number one, that's the first vanity. Other people, others can enjoy one's prosperity. then secondly, the preacher is not done yet. The second vanity is prosperity does not go beyond death. Verse 3 to 6. Notice the principle in verse 3. It says, if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things and he also has no burial I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. The principle here is it is better not to have it than to have it and not enjoy it it is better not to have many children, long life, riches than to have them and not enjoy them. Solomon is going to enter into this critical observing role. And this is a shocking illustration. Notice the illustration. These are two different people: the rich man and the stillborn child. And he's going to ask us who is better off. In the Jewish culture, to have a hundred children was a sign of blessing. So, to hear of the rich man having a hundred children should not be a ground for you to think that he is right with God. In fact, the preacher says the stillborn child is better than this man in question. It will have been better for the rich man to have a miscarriage, for him never to be born into this world, than to be born and not enjoy the blessings God has given him. There's someone else in scripture who wishes that they were never born. We have the story of Jeremiah. He felt the burden of the ministry which God had given him. We have the story of Job, chapter 3. He curses the day he was born due to the devastation that had visited him and his family. These words, it would have been better for you not to be born, can be echoed hundreds of years later at the Last Supper, when Jesus said, Woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It will, it will have been better for him if he had not been born. Matthew 26, verse 24. If you repeatedly hear the message of the gospel and not believe in it, if you die in your sins today, wouldn't it be right for us to say, It will have been better for you? if you are not been born because you are going to face eternal punishment because of your sin you see brethren there is a kind of life that it will have been better for us never to enter this world the preacher here is not going to bypass human responsibility those who will not enjoy life the gifts of God they will never, it will have been better for them never to enter this Life. and then it gets worse it says that, that the rich man has no burial this is something shocking because if you had a hundred children you will think that one of them will give you a proper send off when you die but in this case of a rich man we are told that there is no burial no burial in the Jewish culture was considered a disgrace. It meant that your friends or your family or your children did not have the decency to take you and to give you a proper burial. It means that you were never remembered. So you wonder, this rich man, you work so hard to have wealth, to provide for your children, so that your children will appreciate your labors for what you've done for them, But when you die, they do not even give you a proper burial. You see, wealth not only messes you up when you are alive, but also when you are dead. It messes up your legacy after you are dead. You will not be remembered for your wealth, but you will be remembered for the impact that you had in people's life. For the change you had in people's life. And that change can only happen... Through the gospel. What people need is to know that there's reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ, and the gospel is their only hope. You see, the stillbald child we are told has more rest than the rich man. The stable child has ceased from striving against the toilsome vanity of life under the sun. Solomon is saying it would have been better for this rich man to have died in an untimely birth. You see, we can lose children when they are young but you don't realize what God is protecting them from. We do not know the wisdom of God. It is better to die prematurely than to live your life miserably. This is what it means to go through life. If your life is characterized by carnality, by selfishness and idolatry due to prosperity, it will have been better for you not to be born. Brethren, you do not want to live your life and at the end of your life you wish that you had died earlier, that you made a lot of mistakes and you wish, I wish I had died on the day I was born. Brethren, if you do not know the Lord, What good does material prosperity do to you? Then notice in verse 4, it says, it's talking about the stillborn child, and he says, For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Notice the short life of the stillborn child. He says, It comes in vanity to mean that. The goal of conception does not reach its ultimate fruition. The child has no opportunity to develop a character and personality to go with his name. The stillborn child will never see the sun, will never live a day under the sun. They never experience anything better than the man in question. Little or no notice is taken of the stillborn child. He has no name or if he had he does not develop a character and personality to go with his name so that he is forgotten and so it says for it comes in vanity and goes in darkness and in darkness its name is covered is hardly remembered you see God has no problem with you having nice things but he has a problem when you live for those nice things when those nice things control and dominate you. Remember the rich man. His short-lived life... Sorry, his, 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 his reputation is short-lived. And you can be very great, but you will be easily forgotten. you watch watching sports, in the political arena. You think of these athletes. Everyone is... Sh- talking about them and you look back and you wonder what happened to them how did they fall off the scene no one remembers them you see people when people want you they will do everything to to have you but aren't we glad brethren that we serve a God who loves us not based on what we've done for him Based on what our Lord Jesus Christ has done. And then look at verse 5. He says, moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than He's talking about the stillborn child. The stillborn child has not seen the sun. The stillborn child has not known anything. Yet it finds rest rather than the rich man the great advantage that the stillborn child has is over the rich man is the joy of life. The stillborn child finds rest. It is for this reason that the stillborn child is better than the rich man because they find satisfaction. Then verse 6, he adds in- insult to injury by saying, even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to, this, to the one place it says even if the rich man lives for a thousand years twice over lives for two thousand years that is like Methuselah twice and more and he does not enjoy the gift of God he will go to the grave and lack the rest of a stillborn child this is a shocking picture the preacher here is so serious about us embracing life as a gift from God so that if you live your life preoccupied with material riches it will be better for you never to have been born. So the principle is trying to pass across is it is better never to have been born than to be born and not enjoy life. We often admire the rich and the wealthy fail to realize how miserable some of them are. Why will you envy them? Why will you struggle with the question God this is not fair. Why will you struggle with the sovereign God giving wicked people things that do not bring them happiness. Verse 6 is obviously an hyperbole because No one can live for 2,000 years. But the picture there is to express that this man was greatly blessed. He had long life, he had many children, he had great wealth, but he refused to serve God. The politicians, the great wealthy investors of this world, the famous people, will end up in the same place as a stillborn child when prosperity becomes a thing that drives you you have no advantage over someone who has nothing because you can work as hard as you can but you'll never be satisfied the thing with this world is it can never fulfill us we're always chasing it And when you find something, the world is always telling you to chase this other thing. And you die, you go to the grave, while you're trying to reach out to the next thing. You're never satisfied. And you see, brethren, the blessing of many children, many years, the blessing of material prosperity, does not always add up to more joy. And the preacher is going to assess the issue even further from verse 7 to 9. And he says, prosperity does not satisfy. Verse 7. What is the reality here in verse 7 and 8? All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? The reality here is, All the things that a man has will not satisfy them. Verses 7 to 9 may be a response to a skeptic who may say, I realize the vanity of prosperity. That is true. But give me a chance to have those blessings and then I will show you what you will do. And the response of the preacher is if you are given all those wealth, if you are given everything that you wanted, you will still not be satisfied. Because there's always someone someone who is ready to make an objection. Someone may be quick to say, please give me prosperity. And then I'll show you how to enjoy it. The preacher says no. And there are a lot of lies peddling about riches. Verse 7 says there's a lot of toil and labor and no matter who you are, cannot find satisfaction in material possession. The point is for you to come to a point where you realize that there is something more that my heart can only be fulfilled with, and that is only God. He says in verse 7 that all the toil of a man is for his mouth, that what you're always working for is for you to eat and to consume. And then he says, yet his appetite is not satisfied so you eat to go to work and then you work in order to eat this is true of the poor this is true of the richest people in this world they eat to work and they work to eat and it is a cycle that has no end You see the the wind of contentment never comes in the flesh will never be satisfied The only way for you to be satisfied is for you to allow god to be your portion man is always eating and sticking food in their mouth but they are never satisfied you might think that you'll enjoy these things but the reality is at the end of the day you wake up and you do the same things tomorrow you have a nice sumptuous supper But you wake up in the morning and you are hungry. Why? Because the things of this world will not bring lasting satisfaction. At the end of the day, you have to work for for you to to provide for yourself. What good is it not finding satisfaction in the things that we eat? All the things that we work for can never satisfy. preacher says this is what life is all about. And for a moment, if you think that prosperity is the key, you'll be the one still looking for something that you cannot find. In verse 8, he says, For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? So he's going to jump into the issue of wisdom, and, and you may think this is out of context. But the preacher here is challenging someone who may think that maybe wisdom is the missing part of this puzzle. And the preacher is not undermining education or self improvement, but he's saying these things of themselves cannot satisfy. The observation of the preacher is wisdom is not the key to enjoying prosperity. Remember throughout the old book, The preacher does not abandon wisdom, wisdom is not not the ultimate answer to enjoying prosperity and life. The bottom line is the poor man may know how to walk rightly with God, but still be poor. The poor man might have wisdom, but he may still be poor. There's no connection between being wise and being rich. Poverty is no hindrance to one knowing how to conduct themselves in circumstances wisdom is not the sole domain of the, of the wealthy so that prosperity ends up proving nothing and recently the, um, the KCSE results came out and there are those who passed and there are those who failed there are those who passed and they will be wealthy in the long run there are those who failed and they will also be wealthy there are those who pass, and they will be poor. And there are those who fail, and they will be poor. So that prosperity ends up proving nothing. It doesn't matter whether you are smart or not smart. Wealth does not secure wisdom. Be careful, brethren, when you ask God for wealth and you do not have enough wisdom. And it's not only wealth, but vocationally, relationally, don't ask God for something that you're not ready to do it and that's a major point in this chapter prosperity proves nothing it cannot satisfy your heart it cannot bring contentment to your life that's because only God can do that so wisdom will not mitigate such a problem, then verse 9 he says better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite this also is vanity and are striving after win. Notice the wise counsel here in verse 9. It is better for you to enjoy what you have than to wish for what you don't have. It is better to be content with what your eyes can see than to covet what your neighbor has. This man, instead of enjoying what God has given him as good gifts, he spends his time coveting he doesn't have. This is a person who struggles with the question, life is not fair. If you are always thinking of material things as a source of your joy and happiness, you will always be disappointed. And so the principle here is what is attainable is better. What you have in your house today is better than what your soul craves for your present possessions are better than what you long for a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush if, if you had a bird in the hand and you see two birds in the bush and you leave the bird in the hand to pursue the two birds in the bush you'll be a fool you better better be a realist and work with what you have. It is vanity to chase after the wind. Your attainable expectations in your life are better than your wandering appetite. It is better to enjoy what you have than to wish for what you do not have. See, there was a show which was very popular. It used to be called Who Wants to be a Millionaire? I think before we started studying the book of Ecclesiastes, if this question was posed to you, who wants to be a millionaire? Many of us will raise our hands. But as we go through the book of Ecclesiastes, you see the grave dangers that come with wealth and prosperity. And if you make the pursuit of wealth your goal in life, you'll not enjoy it. If God does not provide you with a special grace, enjoy the gifts. The preacher says a stillborn child is better than you. You see prosperity and its moderate pursuit ultimately misses the point of life because again prosperity does not prove anything. Prosperity does not indicate God's approval in your life. Prosperity will not indicate wisdom. Prosperity proves nothing. Fools can be rich. Smart people can be rich. Smart people can be poor. People can have external blessings and lack internal blessings. The bottom line is, enjoy the lot that God has given you. If your lot is small, enjoy it. If it is big, enjoy it. If you can enjoy 10,000 shillings in a month, learn to enjoy it. Because if you don't enjoy it, it will have been better for you not to be born. And then lastly, from verse 10 to 12, we see the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. Verse 10 to 12. And this is a call to us to submit to the sovereignty of God. Verse 10 says, Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with the one stronger than he the ancient world to name something is to have authority over it. So Adam is mandated to name animals because man is given dominion over the animals. So the naming here implies power. The ability to bring something into existence or to control what has already been brought into existence. So the preacher is making the case there is someone that is stronger than us who is that it is the Lord this is not a complaint against the sovereignty of God rather it's a warning to us to enjoy life the way God has given it so verse 10 is saying whatever has come to be has already been named since whatever is going to happen it's going to happen and you're not going to change it so the the preacher may be asking what is the use of me trying to change something that I cannot change whatever God has ordained is going to happen it's going to happen there's a danger for us to think since God has already decided and ordained it why should I do anything You see, God's sovereignty does not alleviate your responsibility. Since God has already decided what will happen tomorrow, you may wonder, why should I put any effort? It's true, you cannot change the circumstances. You cannot change the sovereign decree of God. But you can change yourself to align with the will of God. To think that way, to think that what is the use of me to do anything if god has already decided is to think like why should i make my bed in the morning when i'll get back to eat in the evening you see god is sovereign you cannot escape it you cannot neglect it whatever exists has already been explored and man has been studied and 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 and, and known there's nothing new under the sun The heart of man has not changed. The Bible is still the most reliable book. So the way things are, the way things are, nobody is going to get a loophole around God's design, God's order, around God's ways. You see, you have to embrace the limitation that we have as men. We have to come to grips this limitation. We we may be living in a technological age and you may think that we are discovering new things, that we are the smartest generation but the preacher says there is nothing new under the sun if man cannot alter the design and the way of God, what should man do? They should cease from striving and know that God is God. Doug Wilson says a man's arms are too short to box with God You see, man has to know his limitations. But the more man struggles with his condition, what happens? There is more vanity. Jeremy Taylor says, God threatens terrible things if we will not be happy. So knowing that there are certain things that are crooked and you cannot strengthen them, and you rest in the sovereignty of God, verse 11 he says the more words the more vanity and what is the advantage to man so the more words what is the use of arguing with god if you cannot win the argument See, god does not expect you to question his authority but to bow down to him it reminds us here that talking back to god is not going to change anything There could be experts and scholars and theologians. And the more they talk, the more they seek to analyze into the secret things of God, what happens? Vanity increases. It is all the multiplication of vanity. So the little, tiny, limited man that does not like the way things are and uttering, and complaining against God, it does nothing but increase vanity. And what is the advantage to man? He says there. What is the advantage of man? What is the advantage to man? And the answer is, is nothing. The more the words, the less the meaning. And how does that profit anyone? You see, brethren, God knows what He is doing. And what He is doing does not matter to anyone, anyone of us. He is sovereign and he knows what he's doing. And then verse 12, as I close, for who knows what is good for man while he lives in the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? You see, Solomon's pursuit for answers here does not give him answers, but provides more questions and most of these questions are never answered all the things that are supposed to make man satisfied and the question is why is man not getting better on paper you may say last year I had a good year but you must be wondering why am I not happier why why is my life not better because who knows what is good for man who knows what is good for us because the answers that Solomon is looking for they are not found under the sun they are found above the sun they are found in the holy scripture and so the vanity of prosperity seems very unfair to many of us because God's sovereign display seems to strike a wrong chord on us The doctrine of divine sovereignty strikes discomfort and a severe affliction in this passage. This is what we may call the dark side of divine sovereignty, the area we do not like to talk about. God is sovereign, whether we like it or not, brethren. God gives whom he pleases. God withholds to whom he pleases. This includes blessing people with prosperity, and then withholding from that person the ability to enjoy it this is God's rebuke to Job at the end of uh, the book of Job Job chapter 40 verse 1 and 5 and the Lord said to Job shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty he who argues with God let let him answer it Job promises silence and then verse 3 says then Job answered the Lord and said behold I am of small account what shall I answer you I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no further. See, Job here understood the sovereignty of God. And even before he is guarded by God, in Job chapter 9, verse 32, he says, For he is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. He says, there is no arbiter between us, who might lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I will speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. This is the same dilemma we see in this chapter. So instead of man seeking futility in prosperity things, it's better for man to rest in the sovereignty of God the thing that becomes even vain is when man fights against the sovereignty of God, when man fights against what God has ordained he says this too is futility, this too is vanity Is chasing after the wind his vanity is increasing and so who knows what is good for man clearly not man only God. And everything that we pursue under the sun, it's not ultimately for our good. Brethren, this may be easy for me to preach, but it is definitely not easy to leave it out. Many people today equate material blessing as blessing from the Lord. If a person was rich, they say it indicates that 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 person is blessed by God that means that person is spiritual that is on good grounds with God many people conclude that a person is wealthy because they have favor with God that's because of the prosperity teaching we should never equate prosperity and godliness together we realize that this chapter goes against that entire system God indeed can give you wealth as he pleases it can give you honor and fame. But God can withhold the grace to enjoy those gifts. And so you cannot tell a man's disposition based on his outward condition. And so how do we know what is good in this life? We do not know. And then lastly it says, For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? What will happen? Have you ever thought for a moment, what will happen after after I'm dead? If you wanted to know what will happen after you are dead, it's better for you to be one with the one who is in charge of the future. So you wonder, why does God give lots of riches to people who do not know him? Who do not know. It is his sovereign will. He does whatever he pleases. Why does God give his children very little, some of them, very little, yet they enjoy it? We do not know. Who really knows what is right for a person in this short life? If you can change your circumstances to make them good, will will they really turn out to be good? Do you really think that you could make your life better for yourself. We think that we know what is good for us. We think we know that we know what we need to do to make our life better. But at the end of the day we're just wrong. It's like letting a child decide what is best for them. See children have no concept. So we are just like these little children in this God's universe. So who really knows? What is good for a man? Do you think that if you had more money, your life will be better and you'll have less problems? Do you think you'll find contentment if you detected if you dictated to God what you what you need, what you expect? Here's the bottom line: God has ordered your ways, your adversity level, your adversity level, your prosperity level. God has ordered it all because He knows what is good for you. we must come to the acceptance and embrace our limitation that we cannot know the future and so here is the connection if a man cannot know what is good for them how can he know what is better for man when he has gone if you cannot know what is good for you how can you know what is better for the men who will follow after you And so men, we are laden with limitations. And there are so many lures of prosperity in this world. But it's only God who can give you the capacity to enjoy it. The prosperous people in this world, they yearn for answers, for their longings. And even if they add wisdom, it does not satisfy. And here is the call to you this afternoon. To find satisfaction in God. To find satisfaction in the lot that God has given him. And the bottom line is, God is in charge. You may not like the way he has done, done things. But if you're really going to live your life and enjoy it, you must learn to enjoy God, who is sovereign. And you cannot change it. You're not smart enough. You're not wise enough. You're not big enough. You have to enjoy this life that God has given to you. And if you don't, it will have been better for you not to be born. The applications quickly. First application is enjoy enjoyment of gifts is given by the giver of gifts only to those who worship the giver. Enjoyment of gifts is given by the giver of gifts only to those who worship the giver. So what are you worshipping or who are you worshipping? If you're worshipping the Lord Jesus Christ, there'll be fruit in your life. There'll be love, joy, peace, patience. If that is not the case, you do not know the giver of gifts. And then secondly, contentment is more satisfying than wealth. Contentment is more satisfying than wealth. If you want to know God's will in your life as it relates to prosperity is for you to be content And doing God's will is more important than gaining goods. Doing God's will brings highest wealth of all. And then thirdly, we should never equate external blessings with true blessedness. We should never equate external blessings with true blessedness. And then lastly, we end with the conclusion, the end of the matter, All has been heard, fear the Lord and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word this afternoon. Thank you for its great encouragement and its great warnings to us. Help us to live according to it. Cause your word to bear fruit in your hearts, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Enable us to not only be hearers, but also be doers. Liberate us, Lord, from the love of material riches. Enable us to embrace our limitations, that we do not know the future, that we cannot find satisfaction apart from Christ. Help us, Lord, to look to you and to trust in Jesus Christ. These things we pray in Jesus' name.